Welcome to Householders, a conversation about American life as Zen practice. I'm Inga Annie Wade. And I'm Kyosaku John Mitchell, and we're lay members of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center. So the thing with babies is that they change constantly. So just when you get into a rhythm of some kind, something changes. And as we've discussed, my whole pandemic schedule has been built around waking up early in the morning to practice for a long time. Mm. And the baby being born was surprisingly not very disruptive to that for a while. And that's because when babies are super little, they sleep for a long time for like 18 hours a day. So it worked, but her sleep schedule is shifting and the mornings are, I mean, I've, it's been pushing me back earlier and earlier. So for a long time, I was waking up at five 30. Uh, now I'm waking, then I was waking up at five. Uh, and then I started adding five minutes of chanting that I wasn't doing before. So I start, so, so my current alarm is four fifty five. but for the last, and that's like really early. Like I, mm. I, I have to go to sleep at nine o'clock in order to get enough sleep. And that doesn't happen ever Yeah, because I need to do something to unwind as we were discussing in our last episode. Uh, you know, usually we like to watch something or do something to like force decompress after yeah. the stressful bedtime. So getting to bed by 9 p.m., that like never happens. So I'm averaging like six and a half hours of sleep a night. Oh, no. And that is pretty rough. But now in the last week, the baby has been waking up earlier and earlier and earlier to the point that this morning, actually, for the first time, she woke up before I even had a chance to sit down and uh-huh. do Zazen at all. Like it, it had been, you know, 10 minutes in or 20 minutes in, which is bad enough. But and then I would bring her to my wife and she would feed her and then try to put her back to sleep. And sometimes it would work and sometimes it wasn't. It wouldn't. And I have had to sort of I have, I have had to cut off, you know, early several times. But now it's like, she, like she's waking up the same time I am, and I don't know what to do. So anyway, the the thing I want to actually talk about, I am I'm now I'm just right now I'm just complaining. What I actually want to talk about with you is when real life intervenes in a schedule in, in a regular practice, you know, a daily practice like we have or try to have. There comes a point for me where you have to take it as a sign that the practice, the daily practice that you're trying to maintain isn't possible, that it's not the right practice. You know, I mm-hmm. want to believe in in such a holistic view of Zen that the right practice is the one you can do. And if you're forcing some amount of time into some particular time slot every day and your day doesn't actually support it or you're sacrificing so much sleep that it's unhealthy in order to do it. Yeah. That's not the right practice to do. So I feel like I should change something. But there's also this heavy burden of having committed to this 
amount of practice and this form of practice. And it's zazen and then kinhin and then qigong and then sutras, you know, like there's all these specific things. Like I have figured out sort of which ones I can feel okay about not doing in a pinch one day if I have to go. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to remove things from that's from that list you know those all feel like important things to me and shortening the zazen feels really weird i don't i i I feel like the like the longest chunk of this practice that i have is zazen and that amount of zazen feels like the training it feels like the important part of what i'm doing so there's a tension and i have no idea i don't have something to say right now about like how to resolve these two things like on the one hand, the practice, this isn't the right practice if it's not fitting into my life. And yeah. on the other hand, it's it's not okay to like make excuses to not try as hard as you can. You know, in to paraphrase Matsuo Kuroshi, you know, never like never give up is the quote that Sensei always tells us from Matsuo Kuroshi. The most important thing is to never give up. And I feel that pressure, you know, when on on this on the amount of practice that I'm doing. And I and I I don't know how to navigate these conflicting impulses. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I mean, I, I think that you're right that if it's not working, it's not working. That's not a good practice. If you're stressing out about having to fit it into your schedule, like the, uh, the way it is now. And also like your sleep should come first because what that's that's a part of you know our precepts that we've talked about uh in mm. a way like don't do things that don't that cloud your mind ah uh, you gotta pull out the fifth precept on me <laughs> <laughs> your mind is gonna be clouded i well at least mine is when i don't sleep yeah I'm oh mine totally is i'm absolutely not like i feel like i'm not myself you know quote unquote yeah uh whatever that means mm-hmm. i don't feel like i act the way i should act because my mind is clouded by lack of sleep. If I lack of sleep, if I got six hours a night, oh man, I would be, I'd be so mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's hard for me to tell what it's doing to me because my sleep has been so utterly destroyed for two and a half years. You know, like I haven't had a full night of sleep like I used to have since my first kid was born. So I, so yeah. I'm, I'm just like this now, you know? I have no idea what that would be like. Um, I get annoyed if I miss a couple of hours of sleep one night. I'm just like tired the whole day. Yeah. Like, can't function. I know like supposedly people with lupus are supposed to get more sleep than other people. But I think I still just get the the right amount. You know, like Mm -hmm. I say, I, I think the ideal for me is nine hours, but I probably don't get that much. Probably get like seven or eight. Mm-hmm. But six is like, I would feel like a zombie. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I, I remember the story about Siddhartha. He, he was meditating and, um, you know, he was like, the practice at that time had been like, you should starve yourself, basically. Right. Yeah. The sort of conventional spiritual thing to do. Yeah. And then once he did that, he was like, this this is not working. Mm-hmm. Maybe he realized that it was clouding his his mind and he wasn't like really in the, the clearest state to be doing meditation. So that probably worked, worked against him. And I think that that's something we have to consider that, in my opinion, you know, you really have to take all the things that are going to make you healthy as part of your practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so exercising, eating good, 
mindful eating, sleeping, take, having a regular sleep schedule that's good for you, and and meditation. Like I think they're all part of it, but you shouldn't sacrifice one for the other. Like, oh, I I I either can eat or go to the gym. Like I can't do both. That would be. <laughs> I mean, sometimes people do. Sometimes it gets so busy you can't go to the gym and you can't eat healthy. But it shouldn't be it shouldn't be something that you're sacrificing to do meditation. Cause they're all like equally important. Yes. I agree with those principles. There's there are a couple of complicating factors. Okay. The first the first being that my sleep will not be okay regardless. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> So like that, that's definitely contributed to my motivation to do this because, because there's never more than six and a half hours of sleep available to me, you know, given the, the interruptions in the middle of the night and the, you know, the just sort of rigor of the day. I, I obviously like I could go back to sleep after the baby wakes me up at five in the morning uh, mm-hmm. and get another hour and a half or two. Uh, which is what my wife does that, but I, I'm already up, you know, I, I actually, and then, so that sort of leads me to the other, the other complicating factor, which is being awake early in the morning is really, really good for me psychologically and spiritually, regardless of whether I'm doing the practice. Yeah. So like, and it it has to do with stress, which I think, I, I think factors in as a physical health a- aspect of, of the choice that I have to, or the choices I have to make here, you know, at least as much, if not more than a psychological factor, because, you know, stress, I mean, we know there are all kinds of physiological, like health problems caused by stress. And, and that includes like tension and, and other sort of physical ways of carrying myself that then lead to behavior that, you know, like anger and, you know, other kinds mm-hmm. of tense behavior that that's bad for emotional reasons. And the Zazen just multiplies that effect by a million because the tension, the, the physical tension, it, it, like, you know, instead of instead of just waking up and getting stressed out, I'm spending so long preparing myself for the day that I'm just so much more able to handle it by the time everybody is up and stuff is happening. And so I do think of this long practice in the morning. I don't just think of it as as a as a health matter. I feel it as a health matter. Right. And and, and when I was when I miss it, I feel worse. Physically yeah. worse. So so it's it's kind of there's kind of no good there's no there's kind of no way to be health, be to, super healthy right now. And given that, it feels like practice is, you know, doing doing, you know, whatever I can to maintain the sort of endurance part of practice instead of just rolling with whatever happens feels like a a benefit. But obviously there's a middle way in here somewhere. Mm -hmm. The fact that the first place you went was like the Buddha rejected asceticism, you know, that, that raises for me a concern about myself that I'm driving it too hard. And and it kind of harkens back to stuff we said about Zen at the very beginning of this show about this sort of militarism of formal Japanese style Zen and yeah. how that's not what we do as householders. So like I, I, I'm, I, I think I'm susceptible 
to being like that. I think I've said that in other conversations about this. Like, I, I think that there is something about that strictness that appeals to me. I mean, Sensei named me Kyosak for a reason. Yeah. Know? Wait, did we ever explain that to people what that... Uh, I can't remember, so it might as well. I mean... The... I think we go over it again because yeah. I, I feel like you talked about the Kiyosaku stick, but you didn't like draw the the connection between you and your name and what you thought that meant. Yeah, that's true. So the moment I really knew that Sensei knew me as a person was the moment at Jukai when he gave me that name. And I didn't know that before. Why would I know that before? All I'd had with was Zoom calls with him. You know, I'd yeah. never met him in person until that day, I think. Uh, and... The, you know, I didn't know how much of a sense he was able to get of me. Of course, you know, that's his Zen teacher's job. So he knew he knew my path backwards and forwards in order to pick me that name, clearly. And when he said the name at the beginning of his little blessing that he gave, I, I lost my composure. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, I didn't say anything out loud. Oh, but like, no, that was that was uh, my reaction, too. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, I was like. That's that's his name, yeah. That, yeah, that and I sense. I mean I I was <laughs> pumped about it, but I also I also already knew that he knew why he called me that. Well, for everybody who doesn't know, yeah, I mean, say what it means. So the translation he gave was the blow of compassion. My understanding is that that the that Kyosaku is 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 kind of like a like an acronym. Like I don't know what the actual words are that it stands mm-hmm. for, um, but but it, it means the blow of compassion at least translated, you know, in this sort of flowery way. And the in Rinzai, it's called the Keisaku, which means this, the blow of awakening, I think. Ah. Uh, and so the description that Sensei gave at Jukai was uh, to distinguish the meaning of Kyosaku versus the, the, the stereotype people might have about people hitting people with sticks in Zen, which is probably based on the Rinzai practice, which is there's somebody prowling around behind you to see if you're not sitting up straight and then they just suddenly yeah. zap you if you're if you're not and and in soto that's not how it works uh apparently i mean i it's, it's unclear to me how much this has been changed in the united states but in, in any in any case the the way that it's practiced now in in soto zen america is that you bow to signal to the teacher that you would that you request the Kyosaku, if you're sitting in the Zendo and you're you're nodding off or you're you can't concentrate or what have you. Uh and and I think I think maybe that there are situations where you're on session with your teacher in a trusted situation where where the where the sort of consent is assumed and the and they'll come they'll come, you know, wake you up with it. But for the most part, what we're doing is we're signaling to the person holding the Kyosaku that that, that we want to be struck and then they come over and they do it and they wake you up and you bow again to thank them for, for, uh, for their help. And so he explains this. And then he said that the parting words that he had for me were don't hit anybody unless they ask for it. And he said this with this sort of smile that made me feel like that was the reference. That was the thing that he was saying about me uh, is that I have this, severity this force and the severity that can wake people up but the caution that my teacher has for me about it is to make sure that the that that is being requested of me yeah before i before i use it um <laughs> and and like 
I really honor that reflection from him because I, I can tell that what he means is this is a very valuable asset in a sangha to have somebody with this kind of force. And it's just, you know, the practice of that person to be discerning and compassionate with the use of it. Mm-hmm. And something else he knows about me, which maybe he didn't quite yet know at the time, although he probably did, honestly, we'd been sitting together for long enough, is that the person I hit the hardest without consent is myself. Mm, absolutely. And so this is what I'm doing. I'm literally waking myself up with an alarm to go sit zazen harder every day and so when you brought up the buddha's sort of turn away from asceticism i immediately leapt to am i am i being too i almost said too rinzai am i am i being too strict with myself well i think that would kind of make sense in that context yeah probably no i mean I, i think that there's i think because you're um your first encounters with like Zen was Rinzai. I think there's yeah. probably some of that involved in it too, where you have sort of leftover uh, um, habits and behaviors, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, macho-ness, yeah. you could say. <laughs> yeah, that, that's definitely what drew me in, you know, in the first place was just the hardcoreness of Zen. And, and, and there's, there's something that I still honor about that it, because I find so much... American contemporary spirituality to be so fluffy. Loosey-goosey. Yeah, and not rigorous. And I just have this belief that's borne out from experience that fluffiness and loosey-goosiness leads to giving up in the practice. Right. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't, think so because maybe you just want to practice no i for sure want to practice well you know when we were having that conversation about like having a goal versus like you're not supposed to have a goal but what's going to drive you to sit Uh if you don't have the goal and with me i i mean i'm like you in a lot of ways maybe when people if people were to compare us maybe you could be a little bit more regular i'm not sure but I don't I try not to bring that into my Zen practice mm. because I since that when I d- am very rigorous about stuff, eventually I get burned out mm-hmm. that I'm like kind of like I only have so much momentum to keep that up. What, whereas like with Zen, I just want to I just want to do it. I just want to, you know, help serve the community and I just want to sit down but i don't do it as much as you again like that that's kind of the trade-off right you might not do it as much if if you're not having this kind of internal rigorous push behind you Mm -hmm. well what's still pushing me is the belief that and I, i should already alarm bell should be going off in my head because belief being a a motivation here is pretty risky feeling but it's a belief that it's like any other form of physical conditioning. We have talked about this before, mm-hmm. where like someday if I keep pushing myself this hard, someday it will be just what I do in a way that doesn't require pushing. And it doesn't really require very much pushing now. Like that's that's something I should I should really celebrate, actually, is that compared to other periods of time in my life where like making myself meditate for 20 minutes was like 
the biggest burden of my day. <laughs> like, and, and I almost never did it. Yeah. Uh, this is a breeze. It's, it is something that I want to do. And that's why I, why I jump out of bed at five in the morning, four fifty-five in the morning. But oh my God. the, the, <laughs> there's a longer term pressure that I'm putting on myself to, yeah. to like have this much sitting, you know, add up over time in some way. And Sensei always gets his brow always wrinkles when I start talking about amounts of zazen. Yeah, but but you're you're bringing it up too in an interesting way. Like like you said, but you don't sit as much as I do, and like yeah. so what? I want to say. Well, yeah, I mean, but there's something else that Sensei says a lot, and he goes, "When you sit still enough, long enough." <laughs> yep. So there is some sort of amount to it, like to get the 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 truest benefit. I don't know that five minutes a day is is really enough, but mm-hmm. maybe just maybe it's not even about getting the benefits at all. Yeah, good for nothing, right? But the so the <laughs> thing the thing that I always find brilliant about the still enough, long enough formula is that it is a formula. The thing I think he's getting at with sit still enough, long enough is that it's an equation. Right. Like there's a still enough that that account that like compensates for some amount of long enough and a long enough that compensates for some amount of still enough. So that like if you're sitting infinitely still for one second, that's the same thing as sitting a little bit still for an hour or something like that. You know, so like the 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 sense I always get from him about the how long should I sit question is that you should sit long enough to give yourself a chance to sit still enough for any amount of time. Yeah, that's true. And, 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 and like, I, I, I kind of already knew that because you know, well, I don't know. I don't know how, how, how fixed of a thing this is, but it has always been my experience that like something happens after 30 minutes some some kind of some kind of settling down happens after roughly 30 minutes mm-hmm. and i can almost tell just from the quality of what's happening that it's been 30 minutes and and sitting less than 30 minutes bef- sitting less than 30 minutes doesn't have that same quality for me unless i already sat for 30 minutes that day that's kind of the thing for, if i sit for long enough in the morning i can sit for 5 minutes later and sit still enough and and that's that's part of what contributes to why I'm doing so much practice in the mornings, because it gets me into this physical state where it's always available for the rest of the day, mm-hmm. no matter how stressed out and ridiculous the rest of the day is. And and I want to make sure that that lasts all day. And and it's I know this sounds like very quantitative and very sort of productivity oriented or something like yeah. that. But but that's really not what I'm trying. That's not the sense in which I mean that. Like, it's like stretching my body. You yeah. know, like zazen is yoga. And, and, and you do yoga to condition your body to be in like an open receiving and giving energy state, right? And I, I, I don't think that there's any reason to consider zazen anything other than that it's just in a in a particular sitting posture 
And, you know, other forms of meditation might be something else involving, you know, mental clarity or whatever. But just sitting zazen is a yoga practice, if you ask me. And I, and I'm, you know, I could, I could break that down in all kinds of ways if you're skeptical, but like the, 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 the reason I feel that way is that my whole body, the movement of my whole body changes for the whole day when I do this much zazen at the very beginning of it. And I, I, you know, I kind of want to believe that it like makes up for the lack of sleep that I'm, you know, moving and, and flowing and feeling better, uh, the rest of the day. You know, I could sleep for eight hours and wake up in the middle of a complete chaos scene with my children and then be stressed out all day and reactive all day. Or I could give up that sleep to prepare myself for it and handle that that much better. And I I genuinely believe that I do. I mean, I, I, I definitely see the benefit of that for sure. I mean, it's it's something that I actually do even though we were talking about I was just talking about like I don't want to implement sort of like a a rigorous schedule but I think I'm actually at the point uh with starting a new full-time position that I do want to implement it as a scheduled Mm -hmm. routine because I don't know I don't know if if I am going to be my my best self without it or Mm -hmm. my I don't know if I'm going to be, if, if stress is going to take over. Yeah. So I, I mean, I totally see that. And if you need that amount of meditation so that your mind is not clouded, then I guess that's what you need to do. But what happens when you, when there's just not enough hours in a day to do everything you need to do? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there. Well, yeah, that's always true on some level. You know, this this question. It's amazing how persistent this question is, it, and, and I I feel like it's an American Buddhism problem. The the moral risks of sitting this much, you know, like there's this whole engaged Buddhism moment, like movement that's happening in so many schools of Buddhism, that where it's like. People can't justify sitting because they have to go out and be an activist or whatever. And there's like not enough time to do both. And so teachers from more, you know, conservative, maybe disciplines, discipline, like traditions in Buddhism that, that are, that emphasize sitting more like ours. Teachers are always on the defensive against that. They're always having to make these justifications that are like Zazen is, an integral part of showing up in the world and you need to do it in order to be a better activist and stuff like that as a way of countering this idea that time spent doing Zazen is time spent not doing something else. And I believe that on a moral level, but there is such I uh, mean like physical health is a different thing, you know? It's, it's hard for me to know whether I'm hurting myself by getting six and a half hours of sleep every day uh, because I don't know how quickly those that damage shows up, you know? And, and also, it's just, like I said, it's just been like this for so long that, that I don't know what healthy sleep feels like anymore. Well, yeah, and, and we were saying this might not be an optional thing for you. So, mm-hmm. uh, you yeah. know, if you have to, if your baby's crying, 
Um, <laughs> it's not really like you're just going to I'm just going to sleep through it. And I couldn't do that anyway. Yeah, no, you can't do that. But I also can't sit through it. You know, like that's that's been I don't know. I've talked about this that's been the thing that I've had to figure out how to do throughout this whole thing is like, just figure out how to not stop practicing when I have to get up and go upstairs and get the baby. And, and if I have to stay with the baby and skip the rest of practice, for sure that has to happen. But if I, you know, if if there's going to be like five minutes of, of triage and then I hand her off to my wife and get to go back down and sit back down. Even that, like, how do I pick back up? Like, how do I sit down and get back into my posture and then pick up where I left off, you know? And the answer is it can't be a picking up where I left off. It has to be a never leaving off in the first place. It has to be a, a, a continuous effort. And this is just the real householder stuff, right? There isn't time to be a, a Zen monk and a working father at the same time. So you have to be a Zen working father instead. Householders is a production of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Silent Thunder Order. Find us on the web at ASZC.org. Our Sangha depends on your support. You can donate by PayPal to donate at storder.org. Gasho.